good. <laughs> We're putting aside Ezekiel for a little while. We'll come back to it soon. Don't worry. There's more doom and gloom to come. But I thought, let's, let's shift a little bit. We'll put aside numbers as well. I forgot about numbers. Let's shift a little bit to the book of the Thessalonians. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, written probably just, oh, probably about three months at the outside a year after Paul has visited Thessalonica together with, with his mate Silas, and Timothy arrived at some other point. And it's been, let's say, three months since he's been there. He's moved on. He's probably in Corinth at this time. He's headed south. He's carrying on with his missionary journey. And he's writing back to the Thessalonian church. This young church. Total newbie Christians. And he wants to encourage them. And he wants to speak to them of all that God is planning and doing. And it's a wonderful first chapter that Graham read to us over here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, keep it open for, for me if you would. So, but of Thessalonica, we probably all know where it is. You think where Athens is today, head about 230 kilometers north of, of Athens. You get to the sea, that's right, because Thessalonica is a seaport. Um, you head, what is it, Ooh, 50 kilometers southeast of Thessalonica, so you can probably see it from the town. You've got the big mountain, Mount Olympus, where the gods live. This was a town of the Greek gods. I mean, if you saw the mountain of the gods in the distance all the time, your life was constantly orientated around the gods, even more so than normal, if that's possible. Paul is writing to this church. Because he is thrilled about them. Have a read uh, when you get home. I think it's about Acts chapter 17, the story of how they took the gospel in. They <laughs> had a really difficult time in Philippi just before, like beaten up and stuff. They got to Thessalonica and, and the church started... And there were some troubles in, in Thessalonica as well, and, and people were against them. And, and just from the word go, there was opposition to the gospel in Thessalonica. But the church was founded. And Paul, as he writes chapter 1, he wants to do two things. He wants to remind the church who they are, and he wants to explain and, 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 and celebrate what the true church does and is doing. Because as we look at the church of the Thessalonians, try and say that with a, with a limp in your tongue. The church of the these guys, <laughs> although they were young, they were and are an example of what a church should be in many ways. So what does Paul say? Right from the get-go, he says, okay, it's, it's from Paul, it's from Silas, it's from Timothy. I'm writing to the church of the Thessalonians in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's an odd way to put it because usually you'd write and say, from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. 
I mean, when Lucy writes us a letter, she writes, my dear friends at Golden Bay, or at Comet Bay. That's what you do. But right from the get-go, what Paul is doing, even in the introduction, is making a point. He's saying to them, I want you to realize, yes, I know you're in Thessalonica, you're Thessalonians, but I want you to realize the important thing about you as a church, about any church, is not where you're at. Is not whether you can see the mountain of the gods. Is not whether you're in Jerusalem. Is not whether you're in Golden Bay or Singleton or wherever. What matters is that you as a church are defined by being in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what makes you the church. That is who I am writing to. And that is why we can read the letter to the Thessalonians and read it for ourselves because Paul is writing to the church in God and the Lord Jesus Christ, which means us. Which I find amazing. The church that is in God the Father. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I would be expecting this church to be a very wobbly church. They're new. It's three months old. Their head leadership, Paul, and the missionaries have chuffed off. Yeah, Timothy came for a visit, but he's chuffed off as well. They're facing persecution and opposition from all sides. Surely you'd expect this to be a church that's wobbly and shaky and and so easy to give in on, and give ground over here and over there and, and everywhere else. But you notice what Paul does. He, he says, I know who you are. You're the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, I know that you're not wobbly. I know that you are chosen by God. Loved by God in God. In God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't even left verse 1 or verse 2. Your life, says Paul, is hidden in Christ. And it's tough, but wow, what an encouragement. In the first line of the letter, you are held in his hands. More you are wrapped in him. He is the, to quote another, another psalm hymn, he is the rock of ages cleft for you, and you have hidden yourself in him. And as they read this letter, I'm sure they would have felt so encouraged by that reminder of who they are. Paul goes on, he says, not only are you defined by your relationship with God, God is also the one who sustains you. What does he say? He says, may God give you grace and peace. It is God's grace that has established this church. It is God's grace that continues this church on. May God give you peace because right now there is no peace and people are moving against you. And yet your hope is the future kingdom where God's peace comes. 
and says, Paul, I'm confident of you. And we, the missionaries, are thankful of you because, says verse 4, we know that God loves you and we know that God has chosen you. Don't put up your hands, please. Have you ever wondered, does God love me? Has God chosen me? Have you ever wondered about somebody else? I think these Thessalonians would have been wondering just every now and again as they faced persecution after persecution after persecution. Why is this happening? Does God love me? But look at what Paul says. What a word of encouragement to this church. He says, we know. That's a huge call. We know what God has done. God has chosen you. God the Almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, we know that He loves you. And you want to know why? We'll tell you why. Because as we look at you and what has happened to you and in you, the facts are just, I mean, it's blindingly obvious that God has chosen you and loves you. Look at what happened. You came and heard the message and you accepted it. God did something powerful. <laughs> yeah, God loves you. You accepted his gospel. Do you want to know why we really know? Look at the way you're living. You're living lives that are, that are imitating us, imitating Paul, says Paul, but, but through that and in that, you're not only imitating us, but you're imitating the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I look at that and I say, there is somebody that God has chosen because they are copying the Master. They are disciples, they're students, they're following the Lord. And Paul says, we look at you and, and we see this is proof. God has chosen you and God has loved you. And he goes on and he says, how do we know? Well, what happened when you accepted the message? You got a frown on your face, didn't you? No, people persecuted you and you suffered greatly, but you had this supernatural joy from the Spirit. Wow, there is proof. God has chosen you and God has loved you. And when we spoke, was it just words? You know it wasn't. You felt it. And we know it wasn't. We know that God has chosen you and has loved you and has chosen you because He loves you. Deuteronomy says, The Lord did not choose you, Israel, the church today, because you were more numerous than other peoples, but it was because the Lord 
loved you? That's a thorny question. How do we know for certain that God has chosen us and loved us? It's quite simple, says Paul. We know it because we know it. (laughs) Because something changed. And we can see it in each other as well, can't we? And I think it's important that we encourage one another with these words and say, X, Mrs. Do-Re-Mi, I look at your life and I see that you are living in imitation of Jesus. And I want to encourage you and say, I'm pretty sure you're part of the family. <laughs> Let's encourage one another. We're brothers and sisters and we're forgetful brothers and sisters and sometimes we need to be reminded that we are brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul does with Timothy and Silas as he writes this letter, the first four or five verses. He says to them, I want you to know who you are as the church, that you are defined by God, that you're sustained by God, that you are loved by God so much, that you are chosen by God, that God is in your midst. That is what the church is all about. place where God is and the place where God can be seen. Now, if you looked on the back of last week's bulletin, you would have seen that, that the, the tagline for the sermon today is the Christian community on display. Because the amazing thing, as Paul describes it here in 1 Thessalonians, is that the Christian community doesn't just celebrate in being in God, but because they are in God, they go out and and they're on display for the world to see. Think back to your sporting days, or if you didn't have sporting days, your school days, Uh, and, and visualize the trophy cabinet, if you would, where you'd place all of the symbols of how successful you were, how amazing you were, how brilliant your team was. In a way, you are sitting as God's trophies. But only in a way, because God does not plan to just stick us in a cabinet, lock us up in the churches on display for each other. He says, no. My church is to display what I have done and to go out and for people to marvel at. And as they marvel at the church, to marvel at the one who is the master of the church. Because the church, says Paul, Silas, and Timothy, is a church that works. Sorry for all of those who thought you could just come and sit down. Feel free, relax. For a while. Because the church works. 
What does Paul say here in verse 2? He says, We always give thanks to God for all of you, and we pray for you constantly. Why? Because when we look at you, we see the fruits of the Spirit in abundance. We see your faith. We see your love. We see the hope that you hold. Your, your faith, which is focused on God. But notice what he says. It's not just, we see your faith and that's brilliant, mates. He, sees, he says, we see your faith that works. We see your faith that works. Got to get... Sorry, that's the New Living Translation. Can somebody just read out the NIV quickly? Uh, Verse 5, I think. No, no. Three. Um, we think of your work produced by faith. Work produced by faith. Faithful work. Faith that works, depending on your translation. We see your faith that works. And, and the order there is really important. It's not your works that produce faith. It's your faith that produces works. Remember what James says? Um, faith without works is dead. It's a dodo. What, what does working faith look like? I think working faith is, is being so enraptured by God that you cannot help but tell somebody else about it. I think a faith that is so focused on God looks at our brothers and sisters in Christ and encourages them. I think our faith as it works means following ever more after Jesus. It means discipling. It means spending time in His Word. It means spending time in prayer. That's not work. <laughs> Sometimes it is. I'm sure I've mentioned it before. C.S. Lewis mentions that when he reads the Bible... It's amazing how straight away he thinks of 12 other things he's supposed to be doing. Faith needs work. He goes on, he says, your labor prompted by love. Your hard work prompted by love. The, the, the word there for labor is actually the word that's used of like when you are pushing yourself to the absolute limits and you get exhausted. Paul says, I look at you guys and, and what people are seeing is that you love one another so much that you will push yourself so hard to bless somebody else. I was speaking to a, a Christian from another church the other day. He says, we had a busy bee. We, we helped somebody out. We built a chook yard and I totally injured my back, but it was worth it. Brilliant. 
And not just for those in our church, but for those outside the church. How much do we love them? How much did Jesus love us? And I hope that endures, that is patient, that seeks always to see today in light of what the day of the Lord will bring. To rest in that. The church works and is seen to work. The church is a place of joy. Doesn't mean we're all happy all the time. Psalms are brilliant and most of them are really, really sad. (laughs) But we are a place of joy. And I love what we see in verse 6 over there when, when you experienced suffering, you had this joy. You received the gospel. You, you stayed with the gospel with joy. Oh, I pray that there is such a spirit of joy in our church. That the spirit would just so enlighten us and enliven us. That, that when people look at us as they walk down the street, they'll go, what on earth are they so happy about? I know what my neighbor's life is going like. I know that they're suffering there and there and there. I know their kids are such a nuisance, but why on earth are they so joyful? Lord, give us your joy. And says Paul, as he looks at the Thessalonian church, he says, you guys are so joyful. You guys are just so active. But the thing which really puts a smile on my face, says Paul, is verse 8, 7, 8, 9, 10. Is the fact that you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Is the fact that your lives turned around so much. You want to see the church on display? See the impact of people whose lives have changed. These guys had spent their whole lives worshipping idols. Everyone focused on the gods. And all of a sudden, in comes this gospel, and and it is such a great change in their lives that, that they are not doing the things that they used to do, that they're not partaking in the activities that they used to partake of. That, that just everything is different and people look at them and go, something has changed. And boy, we think it's changed for the better because look how you love. Something's changed. Now, it, I, I realize for those of us that have been Christians for a while, it's, it might be hard for them to look back and say, something has changed since I met you 60 years ago. But you know what? The amazing thing of the gospel is that, boy, we can do with a lot of renovation. And when you're 97 years old, you're still going to need renovation. And I, I firmly believe that even then, those who know us well enough, and, and we need to know people well, can look at us and go, something different about you? 
You used to have a really sharp tongue and, and all of a sudden you're just being nice. I've noticed that you used to always drive at 40Ks over the speed limit and all of a sudden you're driving okay. We all know our, our little foibles that God is working on at the moment. <laughs> if, God, if God can work in us and change us, I guess the challenge then for us who are older Christians or been Christians for a while, is to, is to know people well enough that they can see the change in us. That's work prompted by faith, by the way. But for the Thessalonians, three months, three months old, people were just wow. And the story, they knew the whole story about how these missionaries had come in, how they'd spoken, how they'd responded, how they'd cast away their idols and turned instead to the living God. They knew all about how these new Christians in Thessalonica were were putting their hope and their trust in the day of the Lord when Jesus is coming back and and saying that, that this Jesus would hold them safe against the wrath of a righteous God, against all those who stand against him. Everyone knew the story. Partly because these Thessalonians were just, have you heard what's happened to me? Telling others the story of what had happened to them. But, but partly through holy gossip. Gossip bad, don't do it. But let's make other people gossip about us. Good gossip. Because you know what, I, I, I can just picture Paul, this tiny, scraggly little man, at the end of chapter 1 with a smile on his face a mile wide. We go around and we try to start telling people about Jesus, and what do we find? They've heard the message because of what happened to you. Brilliant. That is the church on display. Let's see if we can make Paul smile. Amen.